0: Today, we're talking second victim syndrome and mental fitness. Stay tuned for this episode of the Talk to Me Doc Podcast. Before we get into the show, let's talk about this week's sponsor, Deputy. At your practice, what happens when staff call out sick? How much time does it take to find replacements who can fill in? If you need to cancel appointments because you're short staffed, what does that cost your practice? Deputy is a simple app that's helped more than 250,000 workplaces tackle this problem. Deputy makes it easy to schedule staff in line with patient demand, communicate schedules with your team, and instantly find replacements with someone calls out sick. To learn more and try Deputy out for free, go to doctorpodcastnetworkcom slash deputy. Welcome to the Talk To Me Doc podcast, where it's all about serving the early career physician. Let's talk about the unique issues that face us so we can create a better future for ourselves and those to come. And now your host, Dr. Andrew Tisser. Hey everybody, it's Andrew and welcome back to the Talk To Me Doc podcast. I'm so happy you're here. For my returning listeners, thank you so much for your continued support. For my new listeners, welcome. Because today, like on every episode, we're talking to the best guests from all around healthcare and beyond, to discuss issues relating to the early career of a physician. Today, we have a returning guest, Dr. Susan Wilson, who here to talk about a different topic. Dr. Wilson has been practicing emergency medicine since 1994 after attending Loyola Stritch School of Medicine in Chicago and completing her residency at the Medical College of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. She retired from clinical practice in June 2019. Wanting to maintain involvement in medicine, Dr. Wilson became a certified physician peer coach, now providing guidance and support to physicians. Her 25 years as a hospital-based, board-certified physician has offered great insight into the challenges of medicine. Having seen the evolution of medical practice and witnessing firsthand how these changes have impacted her colleagues, Dr. Wilson sees coaching as an important tool to address issues of job satisfaction, work-life balance, and burnout among physicians. Dr. Wilson is using mental fitness as the framework for her coaching and helps her clients shift mindset from negative to positive. She also has a special interest in clinician distress syndrome, also known as second victim syndrome and offers peer support for those suffering acute traumatic events. The latter is what we're going to talk about today. So let's get Dr. Wilson back onto the show. Dr. Susan Wilson, welcome back to the Talk To Me Doc podcast.
1: Hey, Andrew, great to be back. I'm actually really excited that we're connecting about a year later.
0: I know. Almost the anniversary of the last episode. And for the listeners, go back and listen to the first one. That was a gold episode as well. But today, you're here to talk to me about something else. So before we get right into the topic, for those who missed your last episode, could you kind of give us a brief summary on who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah. So my name is Susan Wilson. I'm actually an emergency medicine physician. I am now retired, but I did practice for about 25 years in the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area. And I quit clinical practice in 2019. I've got my coaching certification. And since then, I've been focusing on helping uh, to coach healthcare professionals around issues of burnout, job satisfaction, work life balance. Um, And I have a special interest really in um, this idea of second victim syndrome and providing peer support for people when they have an acute adverse event.
0: Great. Well, could you uh, kind of tell us what that for those unfamiliar with the term second victim syndrome? Could you define it and uh, maybe talk about that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So, so the classic um, the classic definition for second victim syndrome refers to any acute adverse event. That impacts um, a medical professional and these are unexpected events. So while the patient is certainly the first victim of whatever the event is, the clinician becomes the second victim because they are also traumatized. Uh, by whatever has happened. And certain, you know, examples of this, certainly an unexpected death, that's probably the most dramatic example, but, you know, a medication error, a misdiagnosis, um, you know, I even kind of think of medical malpractice suits as being in this category, because they really do traumatize and, you know, significantly impact the clinicians that are involved.
0: Absolutely, yeah, it's such an important topic what um what specifically got you interested in in learning more about and trying to help people through uh, the peer to peer process um, oh, not peer to peer insurance <laughs> but uh <laughs> the uh, peer support process rather and uh, and second victim syndrome
1: well, so it's interesting. I heard a lecture about this topic back in i think like twenty seventeen It was the first time I'd actually really heard the term. And it's really been around since like 2000. But I'd never heard the term before. And as soon as I heard what it was, I just kind of started laughing to myself, because I realized I have been living this my entire career. I mean, I've had so many cases where I felt like I did the wrong thing, or, you know, I somebody I even somebody I would admit to the hospital, I find out later that they died, I felt bad, like, could I have done something differently? You know, so I I had these kinds of situations in my own career and just thinking back to how it impacted me and how it would have been really nice to have consistent support. I mean, I was I was lucky personally because my my husband is an emergency medicine physician also. So of course, I would come home and he would be my support network. I would debrief with him and but I realized most people don't have the luxury of another you know, a significant other that's also in medicine that can relate. So I I really did feel that um, after I stopped working clinically, I really wanted to help support some of my colleagues through these sorts of situations, kind of knowing how much it impacts you. And so I've I've really, um, since I've been coaching, I've really been um, combining the traditional coaching um, structure with also providing peer support. Um, And the one thing for me that's been really um, kind of uh, an epiphany, if you will, in the last year since you and I spoke is I've been actually doing a lot of work around mental fitness. And part of that is, you know, the idea of reframing situations so, so that you are you are really kind of looking at them in a different way. You're shifting your mindset from being negative to being really positive. And so I've really started seeing that this this term, second victim syndrome, is just, it's really negative. It's a real downer. And so I just thought, well, is there a way that we can reframe this? It's not so negative. It's still conveying what it really is, but without the baggage of, of you know, calling someone a victim. And so actually I kind of like now the term clinician distress syndrome, because I feel that that's much more discerning. You're still describing what's happened to the clinician, but without the idea that, you know, they're a victim, they're helpless, they're powerless. And so it just reframes it a little bit. And then I think then the peer support piece of that is, is really helping people, um, not only to to cope with the acute emotions, but then also helping them to develop ways to strengthen their, their mental fitness so that they can really, um, you know, moving forward, support themselves um, and, you know, really show themselves more empathy.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I, I, the way I've understood mental fitness in the past is, is kind of like any kind of fitness, right? The more, the more you work on it, the the better you get at it. Right. But it's not, resilience training. It's not going through the motions to be better apt, um, you know, to take more of the BS, right? Because I think a lot of people hear mental fitness, and they're thinking it's what what uh, administration's shoving down our throats to make us less unhappy at our, at our jobs, right? So could you delineate better what, what that really means, and perhaps maybe some practical tips on how we would improve our mental fitness?
1: Yeah, so, you know, the whole concept really, I totally agree with you. It's really not about being resilient because as we all know, especially in medicine, I mean, people in healthcare are already extremely resilient. Um, And so that, that piece of it really, I don't think is, is, is so um, significant, but the idea of the mental fitness is that you are just learning ways to shift your mindset. And so instead of, um, these thoughts that we've, we've all had, I think, um, historically, kind of negative thoughts that have kind of buoyed us along and have have helped us survive through challenges, shifting from that negative thought pattern to a positive thought pattern. And so the process I specifically teach my um, clients is, Using mindfulness techniques, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with, very similar to meditation, but mindfulness is, you know, really being totally focused on any particular physical sensation. It's just you're, you know, you're very aware, for example, of your deep, your breathing pattern, uh, rubbing a couple fingers together and really feeling that sensation. So the idea is basically identifying. When you are having negative thoughts and in the work I do that we kind of personify our thought patterns. So there are saboteur voices in our heads. Those are negative thought patterns. And then there are our sage, which we all have the sage and the sage is really the, the positive, um, the, the loving, creative part of our being. And what's happened, I think, is through the years, we in medicine well we in, i think generally i mean in the general population we've we've all gotten really far away from who we really are our sage because we've we've had all these saboteurs that have just really dominated our our thoughts and our decisions historically and so the idea of the mental fitness is weakening those negative thoughts and shifting instead to getting back in touch with who we really are which is our sage and so it's really, you know, it goes way beyond being resilient. I mean, I think resilience is probably part of who we are, part of our sage, that we we are strong in that regard, but it's even, you know, it's, it's even deeper than that. And so that's kind of the concept of, of trying to help people to embrace that and um, to really make that just part of their routine. Just like if you, part of your routine is working out, going to the gym a few times a week working on your mental fitness is also something that you know would really really should be part of your routine
0: yeah i like that a lot so let's say that you know let's say um well we're both er doctors this is what we know best so let's say i uh i had a terrible case of work i don't know there's a pediatric death or something that that, you know some of the one of these like career-ending uh cases that we see, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I go to you and I say, Susan, you know, I'm, I'm having a really hard time with this. Um, and you start telling me about, about mental fitness and, 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 uh, you start doing some of your peer support work. Um, do you ever have people that are just like, well, oh, that's, you know, easy said, easier said than done. You know, I can't just turn it off. Um, this is how I feel. You know, what do you say to somebody like that?
1: Well, I I think definitely we recognize, you know, we all recognize within ourselves that, yeah, you just can't turn it off. You have this constant battle going on in your mind, really, between the negative thoughts and, and a positive thought. And I think the thing with the mental fitness that's so impactful is that, it brings awareness to who are these characters, these these you know, these negative, these saboteurs as we call them, that are that are really trying to hijack me. And so interestingly, one of the five powers, so we all we all have a sage, just like we all have our judge, which is kind of like our inner critic. You know, the judge is the one that tells us we're stupid and we can't do anything right, and why didn't you do that? The judge is the one that judges other people. But then on the flip side, we all have a sage. And so the sage is, as I said, it's our true, pure inner essence. And so the sage has five powers. And one of our sage powers is empathy. And the thing about empathy that I think is so important, especially in medicine, is it's empathy not just for others and for circumstances, but it's also empathy for ourselves, and so this work, um, among all the other pieces of it, um, one of the important parts is learning um, how to show more, more self-compassion. And, you know, the idea is that you, you ultimately really want to get back in touch with this concept of unconditional love for yourself. So, you know, I think then that does definitely speak to this idea that, you know, we have a horrible death that happens at work. Um, we're beating ourselves up for it. We're telling ourselves, "You are stupid." You know, this was horrible. Um, you know, why didn't you do better? Um, or you, you know, you do just feel bad. And I think you know, being able to um, recruit our power of empathy for ourselves is really important. And so, I think that piece is really important for f- clinicians. Um, The other thing I do tell people a lot um, with the peer support is that, you know, the reason they feel so bad is because they care. And that does obviously speak to their character as a person. And, you know, which I think is a good thing. So as, as, as much as it is painful and it hurts you know, it it, it kind of shows that this is, you're a really good person, and you have a great character that you even care. Because I I think there are some physicians out there, I think there are some people in medicine that really don't care that much. And they might say, oh, yeah, that's kind of too bad that happened, but they kind of brush it off, and it doesn't really impact them. But if something really impacts you, I, I feel like that is, that's a really positive thing, because you're you know, you, your, your emotions are still involved and you still are really passionate about what you're doing.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a fair point. I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges that I, I, at least I personally have had has been when you have that bad case, you know, early in the shift and then you got a full waiting room and you just got to go back to seeing the next, the next few patients. Do you have any like, now this is kind of selfish, but do you have any practical tips uh for people like that to just you know, com- at least compartmentalize for the time being so that you can keep doing your job? I I personally have, you know, just taken fi- walked outside for 5 minutes or just uh you know, cuz going going right into the next room um can be quite uh emo- have a have a really big emotional toll after having something really bad happen. So, do you have any tips there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. And I do think your your idea of, you know, taking a few minutes for yourself and just kind of gathering your thoughts a bit. I mean, I think that that is a great idea. And, you know, part of this mental fitness process that I teach people is that even at work, I mean, I I think that's the beauty of this of this process, that even at work, I mean, you can take as little as 10 to 20 seconds and do some kind of mindfulness where you're that's allowing you just enough time that you're commanding yourself, you're focusing on that sensation, and you're you're then able to proceed in a more of a sage manner. So I guess my thought would be something really bad happens. You know, you're, you're probably feeling physically sick about the whole thing. And you're probably having a hard time even concentrating to go in the next room. But if you're taking a couple minutes, and you can do a little bit of mindfulness for yourself and just kind of reset your mind and tell, you know, kind of allow your sage to to come forward and be a little bit stronger and, you know, kind of command yourself that, okay, I'm resetting, I'm going to move forward into the next encounter, and I'm going to you know, I'm going to recruit my empathy and my curiosity. And so I do think taking a little time after a really traumatic event like that is super important. I mean, that is one of the things I think that people have found is a real barrier is that, you know, you're in a high pressure situation like the emergency department, or if you're in the ICU, and you feel you don't really have time to to do a formal debriefing, because you just have to go and see the next patient. And so that is that does continue, I think, to be a real challenge. But even if you take a couple minutes for yourself and do a little mindfulness and sort of get yourself calm and reset your mind, I think that's really beneficial.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And you know, I, I, generally speaking, you have five minutes or twenty seconds or what have you before you gotta run into the next room. And unfortunately, we just don't don't take care of ourselves in that regard. Right. So you know, this show focuses on the early career physician and certainly, um, this can happen at any, at any point in your career, you know, bad cases and, and, and it's never too early to start going down this path of working on mental fitness and, and incorporating some mindfulness work into your, um, daily or weekly routine. Um, but, uh, you know, what do you say, what do you say to the residents or, or the, or the new graduates who who just got out and want to take on the world and, maybe don't see this as, uh, as high priority with the other like million things I got to do as, as a new graduate.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting that you bring that up because I, so I have gone through this mental fitness program myself personally, which has been really great. And as I've gone through it and I see how I could have applied it when I was working clinically, Um, I really, really wish I had known about this, or I had been aware of this concept, you know, 20 years ago. So and, and, you know, I do think, um, as time has going on in medicine, I think there is more and more of an effort to start the idea, start the conversation about the importance of wellness um, earlier and earlier. So I think even in medical school, I think medical students are starting to really grasp the importance of their own wellness, both physical and mental. And so, I guess my thought uh, or my recommendation maybe to residents or or you know new attendings is that this kind of work will serve you, I mean it's lifelong. It's just like it's just like working out, it's just like your physical fitness. I mean, it will serve you for the rest of your life and it's really I think worth it at the beginning of your career to really find ways um, that you can uh, uh, really buoy your own self-care, your your wellness, because it's going to really serve you well throughout the entire career. I mean, you know, it's obviously, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you really want to feel good. You don't want to get cynical and jaded, you know, after three or four years of, of clinical work, you really you want to feel good about what you're doing, and you want to have a really good mindset throughout the entire career. So I do think it's important. Um, and like I said, I, I wish I had done this work myself 20 years ago, because I do think it would have really made a big difference in just kind of how I approach things. The one other thing I was going to point out about this work is, you know, this isn't just something that is only applicable to your professional life. I mean, these concepts, this this concept of shifting mindset of, of you know, trying to um, intercept the saboteur voices and really get back in touch with your sage is something that's universal. I mean, it's something that you apply professionally, you apply it to personal relationships, personal situations, you know, with parents of, of young children, how do you deal with your kids? So, you know, there's, all aspects of our life, this work really applies.
0: Yeah, I I couldn't agree more, honestly. Um, That's great. Uh, We're we're starting to run out of time here, Susan. Um, So just want to shift the show a little bit. We already asked you on the last episode about yourself, but do you have any uh, new book recommendations for the audience or maybe a movie? Wow.
1: Okay. Well, actually, so... The book I would recommend, and again, this is because I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm really into this whole idea of mental fitness. Um, the book I'm, rec- I'm recommending to people is called Positive Intelligence, and this is written by Shirzad Shamin, and he actually um, was the director of CTI, which is like this big, huge coaching um, institute, a training institute. Um he himself has coached lots of executives in the business world, so not not so much in medicine but in the business world. and so this this work is um, he's put this in a book, which is really an easy read. I've actually read it a couple times myself, it really explains the whole concept, kind of talks about the science behind it, which I think I think is really important for us, especially people in medicine, you know, to know about um, Where is this stuff coming from? You know, it's not just woo-woo, kind of mythical, mystical kind of stuff. You know, it's like this research on this whole concept is coming from areas of psychology, from performance science of athletes and neuroscience, you know, neuroplasticity. So that book, I think, is great. Positive Intelligence by Shirzad Shamin.
0: Got it. Put that in the show notes. (laughs) And uh, are you still taking uh, one-on-one clients or what are you doing these days?
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm actually really excited because I'm doing one-on-one clients, and I recently also started a group program that um, I am offering to small groups, and it's pretty flexible. They could they can do it whenever the group um, you know wants to start it. And again, I'm I'm using the framework of mental fitness for both the group sessions and for my one-on-one clients because I really think this is so effective, and it's just. A great way, I think, to coach people through challenges and um, to help them helping them move forward.
0: Great. And uh, where do we find uh, the links to uh, to that?
1: So my website is sjwprofessionalcoaching.com. dot and I also have um, my email is MD at gmail, um, and then I'm also on LinkedIn. So um certainly if anyone is interested in learning more about the mental fitness piece or just want some more information about coaching in general, they could certainly come in and connect with me on the website. That would be awesome.
0: All right. Well, all that'll be in the show notes. Uh Susan, thank you so much again for coming back on the show and uh for talking about mental fitness and second victim syndrome and uh giving me some practical advice for how to how to deal with my uh shifts that can be nasty sometimes. so I really do appreciate it.
1: well, it's great to be here, and um i just I hope that everyone will will think about their mental fitness just like they think about their physical fitness
0: and if you're not thinking about that, think about that too, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: All right, Susan, until next time.
1: Okay, Andrew. Thanks again.
0: Bye-bye. What a great show. Before we end, here's a quick reminder. If you want to boost efficiency across your practice and make staff scheduling easier, try the Deputy Act. You can try this award-winning technology for free by going to drpodcastnetwork.com slash deputy. That's drpodcastnetwork.com slash deputy. What a great episode with Dr. Susan Wilson, a cameo. I really enjoyed the discussion of second victim syndrome as well as overall mental fitness. It really was a meaningful discussion. That's all we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts and share it with at least two of your friends. The other thing I'd like you to do after listening is follow me on LinkedIn at my name, Andrew Tisser D. O. Thank you again for listening. And remember, keep talking. All opinions expressed by the guest in this episode are solely the guest's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Andrew Tisser Dio, TalkToMe.LC, or any affiliates thereof. The guest's opinions are based upon information he or she considers reliable, but Andrew Tisser Dio, TalkToMe.LC, nor any affiliates thereof warrant its completeness or accuracy. The guest, Andrew Tisser Dio, TalkToMe.LC, or any affiliates thereof are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided in this episode. The guest's statements and opinions are subject to change without notice.